Welcome to our next adventure with Chemology 411, a podcast of anything and what is Tyson doing now? Kim, quick, get in. Hey, Tyson, you better back up. What exactly are our plans? Plans? Where we're going, we don't need any plans. It's an excursion on Comology 411! <laughs> Hi everyone and welcome to Excursion for episode 22. Now Tyson had something he wanted to extend on his Tyson Quick Hit. So we've come over here to an excursion so we can actually do it a little bit separate because Episode 22, like every other episode, went a little too long. So <laughs> We just want you to be able to get your treadmill time in is all. Exactly. So we had mentioned in Quick Hits a, a, a Nazi that was actually really high in the hierarchy of the uh, Third Reich. And yet we don't know about him. And the, and the uh, reasoning for this being uh, timely at the time is because a book has come out not long about him. And the book is called The Hidden Nazi, The Untold Story of America's Deal with the Devil. And it's by a guy named Reuter, R-E-U-T-E-R, but that title will get you there. And uh, this guy's name is Hans Kammler. Super interesting. So you've heard of Himmler. You've heard of guys like, uh, hold on just a second. Who's the guy who was uh, the butcher of, um, give me just a second. Um, of course, you've heard of Hitler, but I was thinking of Klaus Barbie. Remember him? And then another guy. Anyway, we've heard of quite a few of the infamous Nazis, some of which... Right. Uh, and this one you have not heard about. And he was probably the biggest Nazi to be totally kind of not talked about. And so his name is Hans Kammler. And it's very interesting because... This guy, um, this Hans Kammler, ended up being an early joiner of the Nazi party. So we're just going to set how big, how big of a deal he was in, in the Third Reich. And so he was in the Nazi party early before Hitler became chancellor. And he was in the SS before Hitler became president. So SS is kind of that very special group. Uh, inside the Nazi party specifically. I can't remember uh, what you call, what that stands for, but everybody's heard of the SS. So as background, this is just interesting background. So what this Hans Kammler, you can call him, is the architect of Auschwitz and the killing machine of the Nazis. And when when, when I get into details, you'll see this is absolutely true. I mean, this is how big of a deal he was. And so why don't we know about Hans Kammler? And earlier in the regular episode, we had an interesting little aspect about being careful about um, someone saying you, you, don't, you can't say that truth because it's not true. Um, now you're looking up, oh. It's my name. Schutzstaffel. It's That's my name. That's what the SS stands for. <laughs> Major paramilitary organization, so but, it's more closely associated yeah. with uh, associated with the Nazi Party right. per se, as opposed to just Germany. So Hans Kammler was the architect of the killing machine. I mean, this is a major dude. Now, a, a little bit of background that I didn't know about. So I'm just going to be throwing some interesting things I didn't know about uh, the Third Reich and, and Nazism and stuff into here too. Did you know that at first all those various camps that became Auschwitz and the like? were initially makeshift prisons for political enemies. Oh, wow. So initially the Nazis were very anti-communist, and so political enemies, for the most part, a lot of them were, they would find co- uh, find uh, communists, and they would put them into makeshift prisons, like in hospitals and hotels and restaurants and apartments, and they would imprison them. And there were 170 in Berlin alone. Oh, wow. Just in Berlin. And so that's where a lot of these prison camps that were labor camps and then later on killing camps, uh, a lot of the places that they had using for those were initially these makeshift prisons for political enemies, which I didn't know. Now, the major uh, place where they killed so many Jews was Auschwitz. You've heard of that. Right. And, of course, we hear, I forget what the number is. Is it five million? Is it three and a half million? Somewhere in that of total. But... About 1.1 million died at Auschwitz alone. So that's some of the background, because Auschwitz is an important part of this Hans Kimmler story. My entire Schultz family uh, perished over there. They were all killed. 
Well, then this will be especially especially interesting for yeah, you. Yeah, none, none of them survived. The so this Hans Kimmler, as I said, was early on in the Nazi party. He was early on in the SS. And then he was also affiliated with the Luftwaffe, which is the Air Force. Uh, so he had a background of being a civil engineer. And in the SSS, he was a SS, he was a commander. He has a background as an architect. He had a PhD in engineering. And initially, before he turned into this darker stuff, he did a lot of civil engineering for Germany. Any number of large projects and had a real gift for organizing and putting this all together. It came to be obvious that he was a master in this like project management and in efficiency. So with all this background of his early adopter of all this stuff, he had a lot of uh, cachet, you know, uh, uh, with with some of the later stuff because he had his real creds, you know, a lot of credibility for starting, for joining this stuff so early. He was even affiliated with the Luftwaffe, which is like the Air Force. Right. Um, but interestingly, and I didn't know this, so this is just another historical thing. Um, in World War One, Hitler at least, and I think maybe a lot of Germans, blamed the German army. Hitler especially didn't like the German army, um, but he had an affiliation. It was more of his thing. Uh, he was kind of, Hitler was the architect behind the Luftwaffe, which is the Air Force. So he liked the Luftwaffe more. And uh, again, Kamler was in the Luftwaffe. So he has all this, you know, credibility, this guy. So that's the background of it. In September of 41, uh, Kamler, again, his name is Hans Kamler, K-A-M-M-L-E-R, signs an order identifying Auschwitz as a place for killing, so a killing camp. Now, interestingly enough, this is how fundamental this guy was in the whole movement. This is like uh, several months so this is September 41. In January of 42, they had this famous conference called the Von C Conference or something, named after where it, where it happened. That's where the Germans came up with the final solution, officially, in January. But there's documentation through uh, this author and his research team that looked for these things for years, for through Freedom of Information Acts, that, you know, five years, uh, five months before... This guy is signing about Auschwitz, and this is going to be our camp, and this is what we're going to do with it. And as regards the efficiency and the project management, this Kamler said, hey, Auschwitz is not very far from a river. It's not very far from an existing labor camp, which remember I said some of those camps already right, existed, yeah. and the political prisoner, and it's right along a railroad uh, a site. Uh-huh. So he identified that. And part of the idea was the labor camp was only a mile and a half away, so the healthy people could still walk to the labor camp. The people who are not healthy, like the elderly, the infirm, or even they weren't just good labor camp uh, material, like they were the women or the children. Right. It happened. But this is... This guy did not have the mind for seeing humans as humans. He saw him as... He was a project manager and he tried to make things efficient. Um... Well, the labor camp was a mile and a half away. He's the one who put the ones they're going to kill at the facilities right at the railroad. So think just purely for efficiency. That was his decision. Now, the the um, areas where they were keeping, I think this was mostly the labor camp folks, but maybe it was also the ones they were going to kill. But the labor camp folks, originally the plan said the buildings will be brick, where we're just housing the uh, labor camp prisoners. And he said, no, we're not going to do brick. We're going to do like wood. It's more like a horse stable. So as bad as things were and they weren't eating enough and all this, they also didn't even have the uh, you know protection from the weather. Now, worse than, and they found this guy's name on a document where somebody made a design document that said this building can hold up to 550 people. And he said, no, cross it out. Make that 774. So as inhumane as those were, he made it, uh, 50% more people in the same buildings. This author said that, the, ironically, the amount of cubic room that they had in those, whether it was met or not, was basically the size of a coffin. Now, I don't know if that means floor or if it means just standing up. But they were really, really, really crowded. You know, Aww. the per person was basically the size of a coffin. So he um, built that... Oh, the other thing about how he did it was that... Um, 
First of all, he built both the killing camp and the labor camp. And when he picked, we picked that area where I said there was an existing camp before it even really turned into a major place. He doubled the size, then he doubled again, and then he doubled again. Now, as far as him engineering this thing, one of the things that they did with the gas chambers is he said, put that in the basement. Probably because they wouldn't want the gas to escape. You know, the ground would be there. Right. And right next to it, this guy's the one who engineered the whole thing. He even had an engineering office, uh, you know, right on, uh, established an architectural office right at Auschwitz to make sure his plans were brought through. So right next to it, they put an elevator. This is this guy's idea. He was the master of efficiency. He didn't care that they were humans. So this is how big of a deal this, this guy is. An elevator right next to the gas chambers. And the elevator is where you would just put the victims and take them up immediately to the crematorium. That's the type of efficiency that we're talking about. And oh, by the way, he traveled over Europe to understand what the best gas might be for or how he might go about this before he made his decision or whatever that um, uh, a gas was. I can't think of it right now. And But I didn't know this. It took four, 15 to 30 minutes for those people to die. Ugh. With the gas, and, and can you imagine? Because it's not just you; it's like however many dozens and hundreds of people in there. So yeah, he established that uh, an architectural office to make sure that uh, uh, those those plans were carried out. In the final days of the war, it's possible he was top two in 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 the the hierarchy because he had uh, Himmler was the big guy in the SS. And that person we've heard of, I don't know if he's called General or whatever. Well, late in the war, Himmler wants something. And and Kamler says no. So in a regular chain of command, that would indicate that if somebody wants, especially for like, it's like a, an, air, an airplane part or something like that. If you get to say no to someone that high up the command, then you must be pretty high up in command uh, yourself. And in fact, even officially, he was the highest... Uh, possible rank in the SS except for Reichsfuhrer, which is what Himmler was. So both an official rank and unofficial rank, that's how high he was. Like you're talking top five Nazis. Right. Top five Nazis. And uh, also the other interesting thing about him was that, does V2 mean anything to you? Those were the rockets that the Germans launched onto London, killing untold numbers of people. And also, they launched it onto another area of England, and I can't think of that right now, and then also into uh, into a part of Belgium. So, uh, those those rockets were a major part of what killed a lot of people and, and, and just destroyed the cities. Well, what the SS would do, because you think, well, the rockets should be a part of the Luftwaffe, right? It's a flying thing, you know, Air Force. So supposedly what the SS would do with, with Kimmler, a Kimmler and Himmler as a part of it, they would identify potentially important programs and people. And they would then give them a rank in the SS. And through that, they would then control that program. So that's why the SS, instead of the Luftwaffe, had control of these rockets. And after he did, again, this is how huge he was, the V-2 rocket program was one of their most important programs. As soon as they brought it in, he became responsible for continued development of it. So what had happened is there was one decent launch of it. And at some point they heard about that and said, we gotta bring this into the SS. Right. And he became the owner of all the V-2 rocket situations from beginning as far as continuing development all the way to battlefield and deploying. So when when rockets were flying over London to London right. and uh, killing people and destroying buildings, well, he was. It's, they were mobile, which I didn't know that either. Right. These V two rockets, and he was on the field deploying those rockets. Oh my god! So from from front end, from cradle to grave, if you will, of this V two program, this is the guy we're talking about. Uh, what else? Oh, and the other thing too is that when they brought that um, when they brought that into the SS, this V two rocket program, which was so important, then he also was in charge of the entire rocket team. We're talking hundreds of scientists. Have you heard of Operation Paperclip? No. Okay. Well, I have not. Operation Paperclip is where the Americans just took a bunch of Nazi scientists. They didn't punish them because they wanted them. 
So, and they became American citizens and so on and so forth. And one of them was a guy named Werner von Braun. Have you heard of that name? Mm, um, I think so. So Werner von Braun became almost like a scientist celebrity in America, supposedly um, helping kind of uh, uh, help, help us with ICBMs and those types of missiles. He was a Nazi scientist. To tell you, and he became probably the most famous scientist when it comes to rockets right. in the United States. He became a part of NASA. So a Nazi got to run NASA. Nazi NASA. Um, anyway, you know who his boss was in Germany? Hans Kammler. Hans Kammler. Oh, wow. Hans Kammler was his boss. And there were some two, some 200 scientists. So Werner von Braun was important. And uh, then he also had a guy who, with another name, who, when he came over here through Operation Paperclip, where, the, where they just let a bunch of Nazis come in and say, hey, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. You'll be an American. <laughs> You're smart enough. We don't. We don't care about all your Nazi and your, you know, killing of Jews and stuff. Yeah, no. Which makes you wonder whether or not the Jews weren't a little bit irritated by all the Nazi scientists we took on. One would wonder. But there's another guy who was big in the V2s, an important scientist. He became the, the. Uh, um, I can't remember if he, he just led the company, but big in he Bell helicopter. So he became. He like ran that company or something like that. Another interesting side effect on this uh, on this particular interview, because I'm really just paraphrasing an interview that was about two hours on a sh on a show that I listened to, but it was so important. I, I mean, so interesting. I thought I'd bring up some of these things. Nuclear research at the end of the war, um, the Americans said, "Eh, the 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 Germans weren't very close with nuclear well, on their nuclear stuff." No, they were. I mean, well, no. What this, what this uh, researcher says is we don't really know that they weren't. So there's a couple ways that we came to the conclusion that, nah, they weren't very close. We sure they weren't very close. Remember, they were working with a V-2 rocket, which is already pretty advanced. And they also had some rocket called America with a K. Right. And the idea of that rocket was that it could get to the East Coast. And... So, uh, as to the idea, don't worry, they weren't very close. There's a couple things. They had some prisoner camp where they kept the scientists as they were debriefing them, interrogating them, and stuff like that. And they had microphones. Well, they didn't, they didn't transcribe all those conversations, and we don't know that the Nazis were telling the truth. So they say, well, we couldn't tell anything from there, so they probably weren't very far along. And there was another uh, team of people that would come, come across the, uh, the, um, with the Allied forces, and go through German's old occupied area and say uh, whether or not, um, you know, they'd go to these various sites and go, well, was there very much development? And some people, the very head of that group said, there were so many sites, there's no way we could get to all of them. We don't have any real idea in a book about it. Said so we don't, we don't have any idea. Because by the time we got there, they were plundered, you know, or, and, and they only looked at the sites that we had access to, not the ones that the Soviets had access to, because remember, we split, right. we split the land, right? Um, so, this Kamler guy, as you can see, humongous, right? I mean, we can agree now. This right, guy yeah, was, definitely. Uh, he supposedly committed suicide in 45, and it, in Prague, he went to Prague, and his driver says, "Oh well, you know he's going to meet somebody in Prague, and then he went off to the forest, and he just he offed himself." Well, guess what? The driver didn't have. The driver didn't have a body. The driver didn't have dog tags, which is supposedly you know little things you wear around your neck. They didn't call it dog tags. He didn't have any paperwork. He didn't have a sidearm with any of this type of thing. That's what you would do at the time to kind of right. prove death. Later on, uh, after, based on what the guy said, they looked for, uh, uh, he said, I buried him in a shallow grave. They couldn't find any grave. Uh, and then he, he, they, they, did, they couldn't produce a body. And it turns out, and over the years, there are six or seven versions of the death. You know, and, and none of them were really uh, consistent with each other. So this group of researchers goes in and does all these Freedom of Information Act. The guy supposedly died in 45. They find the document. This is, again, top five Nazi and responsible for as much efficient... A quick aside, why didn't we bomb the railroad that went into Auschwitz? Mm -hmm. I mean, they were bringing them in on train. You would want to make right. it harder. I wonder why we didn't. And I'm not saying... I've just heard somebody say that, and it was like, well, that's a good point. It was uh, it was some caller brought that in. They had 
they had more of an opinion around it. But that is, why wouldn't you, supposedly somebody blocked it over here. It's like, why would you block that? Why would just you to do destroy a strategic, it? destroy the railroad, even if you don't, yeah, you don't want to bomb the place because there's people there, but anywhere along that railroad, drop, drop a few bombs, and they've got to re at least reconstruct a quarter mile or so right, of railroad. Right. Um, but that's an aside. It ends up that there are documents that around the time in May 45 that he died, that they found the documents proving that he surrendered to the American forces. So remember when we back when we said about that's truth and headlines and all that? Right. Well, if you go look at uh, uh, um, any historical stuff around Kamler, guess what you're going to see? Well, he died in 1945. Guess what's not effing true? <laughs> That he died in 1945, but under Warren, this is kind of a a back to the original episode, this idea that we've got to police truth, then that would be, quote, false for me to say that he didn't die in 1945. What are you trying to say? You're trying to bring up uh, anti-Nazi sentiments. Haven't they had enough? That's old. You don't need to be saying wrong things. You know, what you're really saying is you're anti-German, blah, blah, blah. Well, they found the documents, the army documents, it... I wait for it. So they. May 9th, 1945. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so they have documents that say the guy, they had the guy until at least March of of um, six of 46. So remember I say he supposedly faked his suicide in, in 45. Right. Um, and they have documents that say he was in uh, North Austria, Central Germany, and then where? Nuremberg, like oh, where the where oh, the trials were around the right? war criminals, like they place him in Nuremberg. And you know one of the reasons they know this is because England had an extradition uh, request for him. We want that guy. He bombed London. He's one of the main reasons our city is bombed. Right. We want and Southampton was another place, and then a place in Antwerp, Belgium, was another place where the V twos hit. So they said we want him, and. In the documentation that this team found, there was something that said, we don't have any problem with this extradition. What? Wait, 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 wait. Wouldn't there be a problem if the guy had died a year earlier and you didn't have him? Right. You understand that the American document said, we don't have any problem with this extradition, but that's where the paper trail ends. So oh, he was wow. he was in Nuremberg like right before the trials, and then the paper trail ends. So question... Did New England? I mean, did England take him? But you'd think if if Britain took him, wouldn't they? If they decided to kill him, wouldn't they make that a big deal? I mean, that would be that. Why would they hide that, right? Uh, and so this guy, you couldn't cleanse his image like you could Von Braun. Von Braun was literally like on Disney, come come NASA and the Rock. Right? You can go look up videos now of him talking about NASA and going to the moon. Um, with like these, remember those old kind of, they were kind of like CGI, but they weren't, it looked like computer, but it was really just cartoon version of, hey, this is how the rocket would work. So you'll see this Von Braun um, narrate things about NASA and rockets. Right. But they could cleanse his image, but it would be real. This guy was so bad that some of the SS people said, man, that was a bad dude. <laughs> that right. guy did not care at all. So there's some speculation that how would you cleanse his image? So did England take him? If they took him, why wouldn't they publicize that they killed him? Right? Because that would actually be good. He's a war criminal. He's a Nazi. So which makes you think since they didn't publicize, they didn't get him. Or, and the rest of this is speculation because, again, the paper trail fall, uh, falls away. Right. But did they take him and he became their kind of silent Von Braun? You know, like this expert. Uh so that's interesting, but more likely, now I've told you Operation Paperclip, which is where not a lot of Nazis came into the U.S. and became, got, they would even, they took the Nazis and in the various places they put them, they forced, they displaced American, American men and women who were in those scientific fields. Okay. So you don't get that position because the Nazis go in there. Right. Oh. Is that interesting? So yeah, yeah that look is look up Operation Paperclip if if you uh, do. So the interesting thing about Kamler is he moved his rocket team at least twice, and what he seemed to be doing was trying to set up a play as a Nazi to 
hand over his rocket team to the Americans. Oh, okay. He moved his rocket team once, and then where he moved it ended up being where the Soviets... Because some of this was after the German part of the war finished. Because remember, the German part of the war finished before the Japanese part of the war did. Right, know? yep. Uh, so then the Soviets are coming in that area, and he moves to another area. And then we have the Yalta Conference. And if the Yalta Conference is where, hey, you know, the whole Cold War, Berlin Wall and all that, like right. who gets what part of what German what Germany just did? And then upon moving his uh, team once or, or, or a second time, the uh, the Yalta Conference reveals that guess where guess what territories he's gonna be in now? Soviet territory. Oh wow. So he moves one more time. And he moves to, uh, I think, Bavaria. And um, when he does move, then sometime in there, Von Braun gets interrogated. And first of all, we know that they got him, remember, because of the document. We right. know that the American forces got him. So now the question is, what What did they do with him? Well, we know at that time when he got him, he got they, we got the whole rocket team, including Von Braun. So the reason we got Von Braun was because of Kamler moving his rocket team around. Right. So then the question becomes, did, did he make a deal? Is that why he never got in trouble and we don't know about him? Did he make a big deal? Uh, because those 200 rocket scientists were important for us in the Cold War. Right. You know, like supposedly they're possibly the reason why we got to the nuke faster than, than, uh, than the Soviets did. And in fact, Bob Hope once made a joke about, well, why did we go to the moon uh, first? Because our, our Nazi scientists were better than the Soviets' Nazi scientists. Right. You know, oh, um, and and so, so that's interesting. And when Von Braun was in uh, Bavaria, the last place before, uh, before we transferred, the Soviets released paratroopers. That's how bad they wanted. They tried to get him before we got Von Braun. Right. The Soviets did. Well, this I, is after the war. And That's remember, how important it was. You have to remember, he's only like, when they said he died, he's like 43 years old. Yeah. So right. everything that you're talking about here, this guy has, a, has done really before the age of 40. And how many people did he help murder? I mean, it's not like he's like an 80-year-old man that God died. He, 43 is when, yeah. he, when he fell off the face the, of the, the earth. The other thing about this, so he was well-known. So all yeah. of Eastern Europe wanted him. When I say you couldn't right. you couldn't easily sanitize his, him like you could. But on the other hand, it made me think, well, even if, even then the media was a little bit captured. Like if right. you, if, if you, they're not as captured as today, but they were a little captured. So it's like some people like, yeah, but his 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 face was on wanted posters. Right. I mean, his name was all over Nuremberg. He was known as a bad, bad dude. And all of Eastern Europe wanted him because of all the uh, decimation that he was responsible for. And they knew he was alive. And so the, the idea is, well, yeah, but he couldn't come over here and blend in. But uh, seriously, as long as they didn't put his name on the front page, this you didn't have social media. You, if you couldn't yeah, go look up to see what the dude looked like. We don't really know that he didn't come to the U.S., but right. probably he went to South America because we 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 sent a lot of people to South America. Right. We sent a lot of Nazis to South America. Not only did some of them potentially escape down there, but we sent some there. Right. Uh, so it was a Dornberger who was another V two scientist that ran uh, Bell Bell helicopter. Wanted uh, yeah. We think that his, or this this research team thinks that probably his offer was that rocket team that about 200 scientists and other weapons tech, and also Kamler was a an expert in underground facilities. Remember, he's an engineer and architect. Right. We didn't really have those right after World War II. We started building all these underground facilities. Yeah. And so you wonder whether what he had to hand over for that. Uh, Mengele was a was a guy who was in South. You ever heard of Joseph Mengele? Yeah, I have. So he was in South America. Klaus Barbie was another famous Nazi, and we used him as an intelligence asset after the war. He ran a whole group of intelligence agents. We, even though the French wanted him the entire time, the French, uh, uh, what do you call it, in absentia, um, found him guilty of war crimes. And they wanted Klaus Barbie, but he was our asset at the time in Europe. 
But when the heat finally went up, we sent him to South America. This is documented. It's known as the rat line. Oh, wow. So um, the idea that, again, we don't know what happened with, with this uh, um, Kamler guy, but we have a parallel with this Klaus Barbie. As, as, as important as this guy was, would we have sent him via the rat line to South America? And not only that, the same army like Commander-in-Chief or something that's on the paperwork for Klaus Barbie appears on some paperwork around Kamler. So again, just to emphasize, we've got right. documents talking about this guy. Um, and th another interesting little aspect is the Nazis potentially said, we're going to pull up shop, and, but maybe we'll meet again later, to say it, to say it right. easily. Right. So you, you can go, historically, there's at least uh, um, a decent chance of calling something the Fourth Reich. Are they, are they really thinking of it? I mean, these people were hardline uh, zealots, right? The, you don't become a Nazi without being a zealot, but certainly the high-level ones. And a CI report eight years after the war, so 45, you know, into the Japanese war, so about 53, said, yeah, so the South America thing is kind of disturbing. They basically recreated their culture down here, all the way to the types of, there's a type of, um, a name for a type of German village. I mean, there's a lot of Nazis down here. This right. is CIA saying in 53, there's a lot of Nazis down here. This is kind of disturbing. <laughs> just, just for some background. So this team asked for freedom of information all over the place, right? You don't build a book and, and, and uh, get all this research for years and years and years without doing a lot of freedom of information acts and a lot of other research. There are two documents they couldn't get at all. Now, remember the guy, quote, died in 1945. They, there was a document around Hans Kommler in 1969 that was 35 pages. Mm -hmm. There was a document, so that's 24 years after uh, he died. And then there was a document in 1987. So uh, what do we got? Um, 42 years after uh, he died. 87 pages. So between the two of them, that's you know over 110 pages. And... It, they couldn't even get the redacted versions because a lot of times you get something that's practically all redacted, but you'll right. get you'll get it. They wouldn't even send them the redacted versions. And then about two requests later, they're like, you know, we don't even have those documents anymore. Oh, they're we, well, this what? Now, granted, it was years later. Right. But they, they like they renewed the uh, they renewed the request later, and they still didn't get them. Not even the redacted version. And then they renewed it again some number of years later. And they're like, yeah, we don't even have those anymore. Right. So what was it that they couldn't even give a redacted version of? And, you know, so this guy's like, well, maybe there was a Nazi trial. And so his name came up. But it's like, if he's dead, then shouldn't it just be like he's in the footnotes or something? Why couldn't we at least get the redacted version? Right. So it makes you think it's a more specific thing. And leads credence to the guy that the guy, the idea that the guy's alive because you saw he was born in 1901 so right. even in 87 he could have been alive he would have yeah. been 86 and certainly in 1969 he would have been 68 so that's interesting right like these two 110 pages worth of documents that they wouldn't even give uh, and the other interesting and it's probably about all for Kamler himself but just another interesting side thing is that um you remember the the german german came back from world war one pretty quickly you know, I mean, it was a matter of, you know, not even but 15 years. And uh, so this idea that some of the, the zealots weren't, you know, weren't planning to restart this thing. And the idea of whether the Fourth Reich. Now, A, the Nazis never surrendered in World War II. Yeah. Now, my sisters watched something about, I don't know if you've watched it, you're more into cable. The hidden Nazi gold or something like that. I have not. There are some stories on these various channels, like if someone's going to try, try to find hidden Nazi gold, you know, that type of thing. But in 1944, so this is kind of mid-war, in Strasbourg, Germany, the government officials, along, government officials, Nazi officials, along with industrial leaders, had a conference, and they were told to offshore their gold and their technology. So it's like a backup plan, right? And um, by 43, listen to this. By 1943, Germany had exported more gold, you know, just taking it offshore, taking it to other countries, right. than they had at the start of the war. So it just leaves open that possibility that 
hey, we'll meet again later. Let's just let's yeah, just work we'll this. Just... We'll just work this in another way. Um, so <clears throat> we really think it's probably more about um, potentially safe passage. The other thing, and I didn't take re- notes on this, but he had things to offer. Like the they had these triggers. You had to have a very specific trigger for nuclear. This kind of goes back to the idea of whether they were very advanced as far as the nuclear stuff. But there were some things like. Uh, uh, that he potentially delivered more than just the rocket team, like technology, like radar, uh, more advanced radar than we'd have, um, uh, a nuclear trigger, because that was something we were short on was the trigger. Right. And, and other things like that, where he potentially delivered these these German technology, like via submarine or, or things like that. But anyway, that's kind of the story of Hans Kammler. Very interesting, it very is, intriguing. Yes, it's very, it's very And like I said, super high level so, um, a Nazi. And so why don't we not know about him? I mean, like, why is he such a secret, and then why is it coming out? Do they say anything about that? Well, they did say something to the effect of, uh, hey, so what have they been saying? It's like, it's like, well, we don't really have a response yet. They, the book only came out in, like, I don't know, October, November of last year. So we don't really have a response per se as far as is anybody like kind of mad at you for bringing this out? It's like we feel like we're well documented and you know some of the some of it's 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 kind of theoretical after 45 but some other things kind of fit together and probably make sense so we definitely put out what we think probably happened and this type of stuff but why why it wasn't more known? I just really think it's a like like we said it's it's the guy was made Werner von Braun looked like an ice cream man. Well, I mean, and really, was... Werner von Braun supposedly the book goes into Werner von Braun, and we really sanitized him because he he was the guy thinking, and he admitted to this in an interrogation that yeah, I mean, if we have to, maybe we can just use that America rocket and drop dirty chemical bombs on the east coast of the U.S. I mean, this guy, right? You know, I mean. But so, I mean, but what I'm just saying is like Kamler, like nobody ever heard of him. And he's like one of the top five guys of something that we've had movie after movie after movie made and talked about and stuff like that, which just makes me think that if he was captured and he was brought over here, he's, you know, over here, the reason it wasn't talked about is because it was so, it was quiet. Meaning he's now working for us, and so we're not over in Germany, so we're not listening to their stuff, and they're not going to talk about it. And then they killed him off. It's just it just seems as if it was kind of like a very deep, deep mission, and he died, and then we're not going to bring him up. They were embarrassed because they know that he was captured. They don't want people to know. They don't want their people to know. Supposedly the author's got no blowback yet, but it's one of those things where, well, whatever. I mean, listen, you and I talk about it. Speaking of truth and non-truth and, and why I say, listen, the dissidents often are telling, they're the ones telling some of the truth more of the time because they're realizing the main narrator main narrators are not right you think nbc is going to cover this i mean not uh-uh. get, i'm not even trying to disrespect them in particular but sometimes the facts are 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 buried in books where people did research that turns over what the main narrative was for decades right and so part of it can be yeah that stuff can come out but nobody's going to talk about it so right. some people are going to know but there's never really going to be any blowback from it. And sometimes a decision is made, and if it was more recent or somebody thought there was something to it, yeah, well, good luck, author, with that whole living for another year thing. Right, yeah. But maybe because it just was a slow burn, you know, and they just think, well, that's okay. No one's ever going to pick up much on this. Right. And maybe that there's a, a book now. Maybe it will be picked up on more. But it's just like such ancient history, you know. So now right. over the next course of five years... We'll say, well, mm, Kamler survived, apparently. But it's, even then, if somebody says 1945, mostly that's going to be the narrative, that he, he died. And some, someone's going to say, yeah, but we don't think he did. They'll act like it's rumor. They'll act right. like they didn't have Fake very news. They'll, they'll act like they didn't have very good documentation that these people found right. that was an American document. And then the British asking, asking for extradition 10 months later... 
and the Americans saying, "Yeah, it's okay with us if he extradites," which means he's alive. Right. But they won't. Act, they won't. Um, you know, someone won't cite those specifics. Oh, that's just rumor. They won't tell you the convincing part, which right. means it's okay for the information to be out there because it's not emphasized. Well, it'd have to be like a nerd to even know about it because, like, if you don't, if you, if you don't even know about it, and people would be just kind of like, "Who is it?" And then right. it could even have the opposite effect where they're just like, ooh, because they like those kind of spy things. Like, ooh. So the story could get picked up to where it gets a little bit bigger. But like I said before, if he was taken to, by us, they're not going to talk about it. He's been killed. Their media is not going to talk about it. They don't want people to know, like, we, because then they freak Who's out. They? like. The, the like the the Nazis, uh-huh. so the Nazi people that he's working with, they find out that he's been taken by us. It's better to kill him off. We are going to keep him quiet so no one knows about it, and he just goes away. If he honestly died, you would know about him because yeah. he'd be part of the history book of the one who did this and he did that and he built this but it wasn't because it was buried because there's other stuff probably going on that's just my well, philosophy and, but remember the other thing about it is, is people can always say and even this author wanted to take this and maybe that's one of the reasons he hasn't got a lot of uh, blowback yet or anything but he said you know we work with all kinds of people like the holocaust museum we had to go we had to dig 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 that's which amazing, you can imagine amazing museum. um you know but we haven't even got a response from the hall i mean he knows the lead researcher there obviously right but he doesn't really hasn't got a reaction to the book yet but remember you can also just rationalize it you know you can also you can say listen i don't care how many scientists but that that's it that guy's a different level Right. We needed to bring him to justice, and we did not. And you no. hit him from the Jews at Nuremberg, and they deserve justice, and so does the rest of East Europe. But the other, what's the other thing? Yeah, but without him, where would we be? Was that right. not the right choice? Right, you got to give had, or take. What if you had not? I mean, there's his, his more specific timeline is that he thinks... Um, at a specific time, and this is very interesting, in one one month, emissaries, I'm just saying kind of representatives on his behalf, met with uh, Americans along with GE. And GE at that time was specifically getting some kind of like literally a rocket contract in the U.S. And a month later, that's when Kamler uh, moves his dudes to a certain area to where the Americans are more likely to be able to to get him to, to get him as opposed to the as opposed to the Soviets. Right. So early on, it could have been a deal that hey, if you can make it work and you can get your guys here, yeah, we'd like to make this work. But right now, you're in you know you're in the middle of nowhere. And we, we can't gotta, get to you. Yeah, so. we can't get to you. But if you can get over here, we we would consider it. It's more like that. And, and so, what if the Soviets had got them and they'd gotten the two hundred scientists? Right. They got a scientist, just not anywhere near as many. They yeah. got Nazi scientists, just like we did. You know, does that mean the Cold War turns out differently? I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you can always lean on that. You can go, there's always going to be people who go, well, that was the right thing to do. And don't you question these. And even the author tries to fall to that soft spot of, hey, it's I don't want to uh, second guess a, uh, a decision that had to be made in such a situation. Right. So, you know, maybe it was the right thing to do. So his take isn't so much outrage, but there's certainly, for me, it's more like, Truth for its own sake is is what I'm about, and I just found that very interesting. Right. It's always fun. I mean, it's always fun to find those kind of things, like those kind of facts and those stories and stuff like that, because it's always it's still we've always been hiding things, like we don't know really what's going on in the United States. We're fed a bunch of information so that we know, and they go over and they might kill this one person, but we could kill 55 people, and that's a project we're not going to know about. We don't know what goes on. Speaking of which, coronavirus, which everybody's like, I don't know what to think of that, because they don't, you know what, so it's the same idea. It's like, you know, uh, the Chinese, uh, Miss, Ms. Warren, are probably telling those Chinese citizens what they can and can't say about coronavirus. Right. And probably what they're telling them they can't say under a criminal uh, threat of criminal, uh, um, you know, persecution or whatever, criminal 
um, penalty is the stuff that makes China look the worst, whether it's true or not. Right. And so, you know, truth is always going to get buried by the powerful if it's embarrassing or not convenient. And to, to your point, it's right. just kind of up, up to date on that. It's like, right. we'll, we'll hide the truth about somebody for decades. Yeah, we do. You know, well, so. it's like, it's even like the, like the Kennedy assassination. They were like, okay, well, we're not going to release the records for 40 years or whatever. And then they don't release it then. And, and then, then they don't yeah. release it then. And, and, but then we have movie after movie, conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory. And you're like... You know, it was all set up by this and this, and there's more to it. And that guy didn't just go crazy to do it. And you have all the, you, you, you kind of know, but you're never going to know because it's all going to be hidden. That's the, that's, that's Mockingbird. That's the other thing too, as far as my, I mean, uh, I couldn't tell that you were not being uh, sarcastic when you had your first uh, scouting, the, the, the uh, down uh, or the rundown on the Elizabeth Warren story. <laughs> And I, and I thought, well, that's good. At least we'll be able to disagree. But Operation Mockingbird and others just say, I mean, the CIA, besides having sock puppets on, there's we now there yeah. are army contracts for for army people to be sitting in a room and, and impersonating up to twenty four people on social media or something like <laughs> so that. So you got so you got Operation Mockingbird way back when said we're going to implant and have control of a number of civilian journalists and right. or plant our own guys. So that's already kind of messing with truth. But we have that in the legislature. I mean, be for real. I call most of those people puppets. Yeah. Anybody that's in an elected position that's that's making these rules before maybe back in the George Washington day or back in those days where those people, where they've, they all had a passion to make a life change, but now... You, you see these people and you're like, they're a puppet. They have no backbone. They're easy to be, they're easy to be controlled. They've got strings. Yeah. So, I mean, it's everywhere and, that and we I'm go. And I'm not even having to get cons- conspiratorial on specifics. I'm just saying, oh. but that's just why the the speech needs to be wide open. And that's, right. that's all I'm saying is because you're going to get false narratives and but some of those are going to be official false narratives, right? So yeah, are, the, are those the one we're going to criminalize? We've, no, we've, we've gotten we've gotten <laughs> so. those. We've had our own president make a entire conversation of like not real, like just and. and so is, does he get in trouble or does she no, get in trouble? No, I mean, I mean it's going to be selective enforcement. It, you know? so, so, and this is going back to episode 22 when we were talking about Warren wanting to make it illegal to to say things on the internet. I mean, basically, if you're dumb enough to believe... That could affect our elections. The well, dumb. Yeah. If you, it, it does affect our elections because it, people are dumb enough... <laughs> people are dumb enough to believe it. It's like, well, this guy was caught um, in... Um, one of one of one of the elections we had a guy was caught in a um, they had a raid at a strip club. Strip clubs are legal. He was in a raid. It was like twenty years ago. Oh yeah, I remember that. And 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 it was like boom, caught in a strip club. And you're like twenty years ago. You left out twenty years ago. It's not like it just happened. And it's legal. Who cares? Maybe him and his wife like a little extra fun on the side. You don't know. But, oh, we're going to use God. We're going to use all this stuff for all these different things. And Literally, it could have been one of those things where the wife says, you can go look all you want. If that's what you need to uh, blow off your steam instead of going and cheating somebody, whatever. Have your time. Just don't make it, you know, every night from 730 to 10. Right. And don't blow all of our money on it, you know. But you you just don't know. And... I, I don't know. We just, it, you just, you can't, you can't tell people what they can and can't say and make it because you're too stupid to understand what they're saying is not right. And that's just, yeah, my, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's, it's tough, just but, um, so hopefully you guys enjoyed that. I mean, you might have more. And if you go buy the book, I'd be interested, uh, what you think. Um, I'm hoping maybe I, I think I never do that with a library where I suggest a book, but most libraries allow you to suggest a book. Yeah, like probably online. But like I said, the hidden Nazi, the untold story of America's deal with the devil, uh, that should get you there. But if and then the last guy's name is Reuter or Reuter, kind of like Reuter News Service, right? Or spelled right, exactly like that. 
So, hope you enjoyed that. I found it very interesting. And honestly, I just kind of parroted, even though I, I took notes and said it in my own words, but I took pretty specific notes. Something that was on another uh, incredible place to find fun information like that. I'll let you guys figure out where that was. All right. All right, guys. Well, we are finished with Excursion Episode 22 on Kamlar. Um, Buttigieg. We forgot to mention that. Check you out, Buttigieg. I just had to say it. We're going to mention the regular episode. Episode 21. I didn't say it. I just wanted to blow it out. I just want to blow I your told mind. Her, I told her one of the uh, um, quick hits was just going to see me uh, having you pronounce Buttigieg and see if you I did, correctly Buttigieg. said it. And she said, before I even finished saying it, that would be a quick hit. She said it right away, and I and I was dumbfounded. <laughs> Remember, guys, it's like Buddha, you know, like yeah. Buddha, like the fat Buddha, and then kind of like rhymes with hedge, hedge. like you need to trim Jedge. the hedge, but it's Jedge. Jedge. It's not booty gig. Booty jig. <laughs> it's nope. not. Listen, you, neither one of us have had a booty gig in <laughs> like quite some years. <laughs> not booty call. That's different. That's another yeah, booty, booty gig. Booty gig is when you get money for it. <laughs> exactly. It's a gig. It's like being in a band with a lot of booty. I, I I think I might be more likely to vote for him if we if if you just you know what guys I've got I've got an embarrassing detail but I want to be I want to be honest with the American people. The actual pronunciation of my name is booty gig. I'd be like right. what? And I'm gonna I'm make booty. For you now. And we're gonna have a law that says booty gigs are legal. <laughs> So glad, so glad we finished our very we serious topic. <laughs> we always do that, don't we? Yeah. Well, this is the real us. The Holocaust. He like, oh, the- <laughs> Booty gig! <laughs> it's like, oh, these people die. I want to leave you guys on a... <laughs> it's not even purposeful. Maybe it's like just like I think like it's because it's late. <laughs> it is always late just, by the time we, we finish. We always record these late at night, so we have a day, we work all day, and then we get together and... And it's getting to be late, and we get goofy. <laughs> but so, I like your other pronunciation, where you you said you said it for a little bit more like booty judge. Booty judge. <laughs> you know what? That's for a contest at a club. <laughs> That's the booty judge. Yeah, at least at least no <laughs> at least no fees are exchanging hands there. You're just looking and judging. You're just judging. I would do that for free. I, I, in fact, I basically I judge booties every day for free. <laughs> All right, guys. Oh, boy. <laughs> you guys, keep taking all your adventures. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.